0: Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not. So please enjoy. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Let's Talk Government podcast. Today, we are going to discuss U.S. foreign policy, how the world views us. I'm joined by Dr. Abdallah Bata, Dr. Tom Inglot, and Dr. Jackie Vasselli from the International Relations Program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Dr. Abdallah Bata is in his 27th year as an Associate Professor in the Political Science and International Relations Programs at Minnesota State University, Mankato. His research focuses on international relations theory, international political economy, international conflict resolution, Middle East politics and comparative politics. Dr. Tom Inglot is in his 25th year as a professor in the political science and international relations program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. He currently serves as the international relations program director and is a distinguished faculty scholar. His research areas of interest include Central and Eastern Europe, comparative social policy, welfare state, comparative democratization, comparative political economy, and international relations. Dr. Jackie Vaselli served 32 years in the international relations and political programs at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and is now a faculty emerita. She is a past program director for the international relations program and chaired the Kessel Memorial Lecture. Her areas of interest are ethics, human rights, international relations, and African politics. So, Dr. Inglot, I'd like to start with you. What is the perception of the United States in the rest of the world?
1: First of all, thank you for um, organizing this podcast, and it's a pleasure to discuss those issues, and I would like to start by saying that when we want to understand how people view us today, by us mean, meaning the United States, and in many people's minds they kind of combine the opinion of the government and, and the country as a whole, uh, we need to start by thinking what that perception was like before these recent events, before the Trump administration, before COVID-19. And I think that the world was pretty much divided into different regions and countries. And some of them had a very, uh, you know, um, I, would say, I wouldn't say exaggerated, but overly optimistic view of what the United States uh, stood for and represented. And other countries were on the opposite spectrum. And I give the two examples in my classes when I teach European politics. I ask students if they know which country uh, consistently, I see before COVID, before Trump, uh, was the most friendly toward the united states and they're all surprised when i say poland it always comes up first so that's for historical reasons and there are other countries of course like the uk and so on but on the opposite side of the spectrum is also a little known country in europe one of the smallest but very important historically that's greece and it's also for historical reasons going all the way to the communist uprising after world war ii against uh, Uh, You know, the Western Alliance and the United States also supported the military regime and so forth. So there's lots of historical reasons and also perceptions, misperceptions, the baggage that still existed before all this happened. But what happened with Trump and, and COVID, and especially COVID accelerated everything, First of all, a lot of shock and disbelief. So even people who did not like us, like Latin American populations largely also had grievances going back to the Cold War and so on. The Russians, you know, they're all baffled by um, contradictory statements, by faulty policies, by news coming from the United States about uh, one direction in policy one day, and completely opposite the other. So I would say that confusion is a good word to, uh, to uh, summarize it, and also disbelief. And um, uh, that is also uh, the perception which is, uh, like I said, uh, was initially ambivalent, and now it's becoming more hostile in countries. Uh, and we have to see this uh, against the background of also misinformation and uh, misunderstanding of the United States. I discovered a long time ago, talking to a lot of people around the world, that people had the image of the country that had little to do with reality. When you ask specific questions about the U.S. and you convey information, it's either not believed or people can't relate to it because they don't follow the details about our country. And then they have this image of the U.S. what should be in their mind and they stick to it. They don't challenge it, right? So that's the that's the problem, it still continues, but now they are getting more information because the US is, is acting in a very strange way, according to everybody, and they're getting even more confused, right? And they have this emotional reaction. And maybe I'll just follow up with one more thing. That reaction is very often also based on a need that all countries have as some kind of a model ideal to look up to in the United States successfully through Hollywood, through its propaganda, through its success, uh, sold to the rest of the world its image of what capitalism and democracy should be. Supposedly, we call ourselves the best democracy ever existed without thinking about facts and how to justify it. So people, all people in the world want to have this model. Even people living in countries like China, Russia, they understand their country can never be like that, but they want to know that there is somewhere in the world, some country that is succeeding, that is doing great. So they bought into this, Now they are all confused, right? So there's a vacuum. And maybe I'll just end with this, saying there's a vacuum. And who is supposed to fill that vacuum, right? They are looking around and said, the United States is collapsing. Oh, maybe election will change, and maybe they'll still fix it. There's still that faint hope, but it's fading. But then they look around and what's there? Oh, China is there. What, What about China? China is really powerful, economically impressive. They're making money, they're becoming rich, but they really want to be like China. Does China really want the world to be like them? They are not trying that hard. They don't have this tradition. So people are completely bewildered. They are all confused. You said, well, can't be that bad in the United States because if that image disappears, we have nothing left.
0: Well, that's a great point about it almost being a vacuum and, and having other countries look up, having like a model to look at. So, Dr. Bata, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I think, you know, beginning with the Middle East, I think. Uh, You know, there is a bit of background there, and probably it should begin with the George W. Bush administration and its aggressive war in Iraq are quite disruptive in the region. And things kind of improved a little bit under Obama, perhaps not to the heights they were under the Clinton administration, however. But certainly, they have gone down dramatically and uh, uh, the Trump uh, administration. This is pretty much is what we see else in the world, although they're not as affected by the policies of the United States in the Middle East. But we see that uh, as indicated by the surveys that have been done by the Pew Research, uh, the Global Attitude uh, Survey for the last two two decades. Uh, And um, uh, this is really the best the best evidence we have, social science, data-driven evidence that we have got. And i just give you the uh, the heading of uh, the report they have. It says, basically, that the last report of 2020, US image plummets internationally, as most say, country has handled uh, coronavirus badly. But you could also add to it other things, not just the coronavirus. Um, And a number of things that could certainly be added to that, the record on human rights, for example, even in the United States. And the survey did not include the protests that connects with the the Floyd uh, and other cases in the United States, but nevertheless, very, uh, very damaging, uh, uh, you know, um, impact Uh, these have had. In terms of the perception, you could add to it, uh, you know, the uh, uh, perhaps the rhetoric of the president of the United States. So, so unlike what we have seen in decades past, historically, I mean, they're really without without any precedent. Very divisive, very uh, corrosive sort of uh, 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 you know language that he uses. Uh, very disruptive. Uh, style and and language, uh, even incendiary, even incendiary. And we see that domestically, obviously. Uh, And we see that essentially his uh, America first, which, uh, you know, at face value sounds like it's isolationist, but uh, truly it is about Trump. It's a Trump first period. It's not so much America in the equation. we see evidence in... What happened to the institutions uh, domestically and internationally? I mean, uh, the president basically has denigrated uh, the, demean, personnel in law, in law enforcement, in the courts, uh, in the intelligence services. And can you imagine? I mean, if the president of the United States doesn't have a vote of confidence in these institutions. How is anybody going to convince the rest of the world to have a confidence next time when I says, says to them, believe me, this happened or that happened? They say, hey, but you don't believe yourself, right? And then uh, uh, Corona, I mean, Corona, you know, that that has been shown, the White House is infested with Corona. It uh, leads the world in terms of the number of cases, the number of deaths. Uh, and again, you know, in terms of... Uh, I guess, as I already mentioned, I remember Reagan when he used to talk about the United States being a city upon the hill. Everybody looks up to the United States. We don't, we're not seeing that anymore. People say, what? What are you talking about? United States doesn't promote human rights within its own uh, boundaries, economically. And the survey, the Pew Research Survey says, uh, all of the countries surveyed, except Japan and South Korea think it is Japan the leader, not United States. And that matters. It has, it translates uh, into tangible uh, benefits. We have basically, and uh, as established in the survey, in this one and previous ones, that uh, the perception and the confidence in the U.S. president goes hand in hand in tandem with the perception of the United States. If it is up then the perception of the United States is up. And if it is down, it goes down. We saw that, for example, I could bring attention to earlier surveys in 2010, for example, the Pew Research uh, had a survey of the perception of the United States and Obama. And they said, well, this was the time when there was uh, Obama mania, basically. more popular abroad than at home on, uh, uh, on a global, uh, the, glo- the global image and the United States benefits from that as a close quotation of that of that heading. I I think that really is telling uh it comes to a number of indicators the perceptions that the people find whether it's racial injustice or justice and human rights uh, whether the United States is a, a global leader whether there is a confidence in the United States president to do to be a global leader Again, all of those indicators are really down. Sadly, and I'm sad to say, they are they are down at a low point.
0: Well, Dr. Roselli, you were laughing a little bit there. What are your ideas on this? On this thought about our perception outside the the United States? Well, uh, in in
3: general, you know, we are referring to the latest uh, Pew research that we have. Uh, uh, poll conducted in 2018 2019 and and then reported out earlier this year and our our overall uh rating i i think of of uh the Trump administration in the United States was like 30 39% approval rating um and it it differed um certainly from country to country uh I, I i think it's lowest maybe in in the middle east uh certainly low in latin america um uh and uh it, in in africa this is quite interesting because uh, given the president's comments about africa you know uh, one one would think that the, the ratings would be extremely low um and actually, uh, our, our ratings in, in Africa or, or, the perception in Africa, we may have benefited a little bit from the fact that Trump is not interested in Africa. Um, other than making some disparaging comments, you know, the, the first lady has visited, uh, the continent, but, uh, uh, Trump is really not interested in Africa, um, there is a, a an initiative called Prosper Africa, which you know is uh, an attempt to um, again stimulate uh, economic development and get various uh, uh, American African partnerships going and, and so on. But uh, a lot of the policies have been continued from the Obama administration. Um, And some of the um, uh, analysis uh, uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations, and I was looking at some analysis uh, from um, uh, one of the correspondents in Jeune Afrique. Uh, uh, They're saying uh, diplomats, U.S. diplomats in Africa, probably have more freedom in many ways than diplomats in, in Europe Um, You know, because of the fact that the the Trump administration doesn't particularly care, Um, but there are some rough spots. Watch Ethiopia uh, at this point. Ethiopia, of course, has been very uh, instrumental. uh, critics might say a lieutenant of the United States in in AFRICOM, uh, very uh, much involved with uh, counterterrorism operations and so on. Um, well, there is a, a project for uh, the Renaissance Dam uh, uh, involving, uh, Ethiopia, Egypt, and Sudan, uh, and the U.S. I think in about July, um, cut aid, uh, to this project that's been in, in the works for about a decade because, uh, Ethiopia and Egypt, uh, have not come to an agreement. Well, you may have been following that, um, terrible flooding in East Africa now has displaced about a million and a half people uh, many think that this this dam uh, would help in the control of this kind of flooding which is related to climate change and you know we certainly can go there um, and so the Ethiopians are quite uh, irate at this point we've been a good ally of the United States and, and the United States uh, you know has let us down uh pulling the plug on aid to a, a a good project that would have helped the whole region and and you know you can see uh um effects of of that right now with climate change related uh weather disasters and and of course the US pulling out of the the World Health Organization uh you know which does critical work uh, around the world so um yeah, uh, you know. Hopefully, those are a, a couple other examples uh, to look at of uh, the phenomenon that we've we've all been talking about.
0: Thank you. So, so Jackie, you actually bring up a good point. Um, oh, Abdallah, you have a you have a comment to add on to that?
2: Well, I mean, I think Jackie mentions the pulling out of the World Health Organization, but this has been a pattern. It's not been the exception, and it indicates that the United States it truly has abdicated. It's uh, leadership, and uh, the World Health Organization is but the latest example. Before that, the mm-hmm. I- an landmark treaty uh, the Reagan administration devised with the uh, the Soviet uh, government in 1987. Again, uh, pulling out of that, pulling out of the Paris Agreement for the climate change, pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership for trade, um, you know, pulling out of uh, UNESCO uh, completely defunding ANARWA, as far as the United States is concerned. The UNDP, the funding for that has been, uh, has been cut. Uh, threatening to pull out of uh, NATO, even NATO. Threatening to pull out of NATO. Um, and of course, re- renegotiating NAFTA and others uh, as well. Pulling out of the UN Human Rights Council uh, is another one. Uh, uh, jettisoning uh, the Iran nuclear deal, which everybody thought well, it was a progress, but we have got nowhere whatsoever on that gr- on that front. Nor have we got any progress on the front of the nuclear issue of North Korea. So it's it's part of a pattern uh, that makes the United States look as quite unreliable in making agreements and. Um, you know, uh, 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 because it all depends on the whim of the president of the United States at the time. And we have got, basically, a president at the time whose whims are quite radical. Um, Tom, you
0: have some comments comments. on this? Yeah. Yeah, I just,
1: uh, you know, because we are trying to link now US foreign policy with the US perception. I think it's a nice connection Mm -hmm. that we are making. So two points, Uh, first of all. Uh, you know there's a certain, you know disconnect within this administration because the United States is so much embedded in the in- international institution that its own of its own creation like NATO you know we've been always active at the UN at different levels and so on international uh, financial institutions we cannot just quit it's impossible practically uh, so these connections still function. And sometimes they like um, Dr. Viseli said in Africa, certain programs just continue because they don't pay attention. And the other side of the story is that this administration would like us to quit all this, but doesn't have a coherent plan how to do it, how to become isolationist, for example. So they do it by um, complete ad hoc chaotic targeting of certain things once in a while. So it all t- together creates a pattern, but it's completely di- uncoordinated and chaotic. Nobody knows where it's going, right? So that's one point. Point number two, and uh, uh, Dr. Batar mentioned, um, uh, you know, connection between the presidential policy and how people see us. I see it more as a fluctuation, because it's true that it started under Bush and even under Reagan, a lot of people hated us for what we did overseas, but at the same time came Obama and went the opposite direction. So Obama becomes president, everyone is euphoric. Oh, he's going to make the United States really a great international citizen, and this and this and that. And they also got disappointed. And why did they get disappointed? Because most people in the world do not understand and follow and are aware of, of those long-term trends within our society. When you live here long enough, like I did for almost 40 years, I could see a certain continuum. Regardless of who is president, our society has been continuously turning away from the world. Maybe not a majority yet, but we are close. Maybe starting with a 10%. Now about I would say 30-40% of the population would like that to continue in this direction. That includes some former Obama voters as well. We don't like foreign wars. We don't like to spread democracy. We would like all countries to take care of their own citizens. We don't like too much immigration. I can go on and on and on with all these policy issues. So, but at the same time, for example, Europeans and others, when they see us, they don't see that there is a global trend, which they are part of. They don't want the United States to become just like them and they see in their own societies exactly the same thing, which is exaggerated by social media, lack of paying attention to the news and so on, conspiracy theories, all that stuff. But every country, if you take it by, one by one, has the same exact set of uh, ideas and values, isolationist tendencies, and ethnic chauvinism, nationalism. You find it everywhere. You name the country, they have it. The problem is it's maybe the difference is that the US has more people like that now probably in the population that they do. But there is a global disease, I would call it, of people becoming much more inward-looking. Good point. And people don't see that connection very often.
0: Especially if you don't travel, you don't see that connection, if you only stay within the United States. All right. Well, so you guys are actually bringing up fairly interesting concepts here. So we've talked about like the general perception. Um, maybe let's dive in a little bit more about our government perception and why is it important um, our relations with other governments outside the United States, not just the pu- public perception, but the perception of the government and how much maybe that has changed. Um, for ex yeah, go ahead, uh, Dr. Bata.
2: Well, I, I think it is very important because first of all, uh, United States has been uh, the leader of the world, not just the free world. For all of those decades, everybody looks toward the United States to take the lead. And the United States has been all too happy to jump in and take the lead. And, uh, but the United States is nowadays, not only has uh, abdicated uh, that uh, responsibility, if you will, but has become the world's number one disruptor, and uh, mm-hmm. it is true. I mean, you cannot really characterize the politics of the Trump administration by anything other than that. And I think that also mirrors what he's doing uh, domestically. But just you know, consider the case of pushing Jerusalem as the capital uh, of Israel, while at the same time claiming to be. Uh, uh, pushing toward peace, which is, of course, exactly the contrary. There has been a world, a consensus on that issue. In fact, in fact, after he announced this one, the Security Council, where the United States holds a veto power and is one of five permanent members and one of 15, basically, essentially condemned the move by the United States because it goes thoroughly against the international consensus. So a resolution passed. I'm sorry was in a draft resolution was introduced. United States vetoed that and it was one United States with its veto against the rest of the, those who sit in the security council. This is an international consensus. Uh, I, I mentioned the climate and the trade and all of those others. The, these have been built over decades. Uh, the, it, 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 trade, uh, uh, The nuclear agreement with Iran has come after you know uh, a lot of effort and a lot of work so I, I think one of the things that's important to realize is that we academicians talk about determinants of foreign policy and we say there's a list on the external side and in the international system and in power and you know a number of them and then we say well domestically there's a number of them you know structure and style of government is well one thing stands out about the style uh, in this administration, which is basically uh, President Trump and his, uh, shall I say, idiosyncrasies. He doesn't even listen to advisors. He has suspicion of the experts. He has suspicion of the um, the bureaucracies to such a point that his close advisors, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of the State, Chief of the Staff, National Security Advisors, two of them. Uh, basically said he is, he constitutes a danger to the national interest of the mm-hmm. United States. So if that is the situation with the president of the United States, well, think, look at it from the outside. What What is the rest of the world seeing? Chaos. And basically a, a, a superpower with a lot of might, a lot of power, a lot of wealth is basically run by this person who is well-suited, for a different kind of government, a totalitarian government. He would be well suited for that. I mean, I I think of him, my background is the Middle East. I say, boy, he would make a great king in in the Middle (laughs) East. He would just make a great president because that's what the Middle East is accustomed to, you know, just something like that. But in terms of a, a, a country like the United States, the greatest democracy in the world, the most powerful nation on earth, it's an oddity to look at what is taking place, and there is a void of leadership, and it does cost. There is a cost there that has yet to be um, you know, uh, accounted for. Well, we
0: better watch out, Dr. Bata, because if we see a tweet that I should be king, because uh, Dr. Bata says so on the <laughs> podcast, we'll know where that king right? uh, is. Right. Dr. Vaselli, you had yeah. a comment there? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I think uh you know it, John Bolton <laughs> I think has has really put his finger on a good part of our problem um and you know if you read his book in, in the room where it happened uh you know what he portrays is is an administration without a plan and you look at all the turnover in the administration um and, you know, I think the, the COVID uh, pandemic really has pointed up uh, something critical, as well as climate change. And, and that is that we have these severe global problems. Uh, the The virus doesn't know national borders. It doesn't know politics. Uh, the same for uh, all of our ecological problems uh, and you know as as uh, dr. Iglet uh, also commented uh, about these anti immigrant uh, isolationist tendencies uh in the world and and uh, you know we mentioned before that when you look at the attitudinal surveys uh, trump is is liked uh, by portions of, of populations in various countries that um, want more authoritarian governance, that um, uh, want to be more uh, isolationists that are pulling into their uh, ethnic lager. Um, and we're facing this at a time when I would say if, if we do not reach more consensus as a global community, if we do not assist each other uh, then you know the reputed saying of Benjamin Franklin is is going to be the case if we don't hang together we will surely all hang separately Uh, and um, that's another reason why I think that the, the way that this administration is going is so very unfortunate because we don't have much time left. Um, and, and again, I mean, we could talk about the attitude towards science, the attitude toward experts, uh, the, the rejection of facts for uh, so-called alternative facts. Uh, I think all of these things are related. And, and, uh, and the consequences uh, potentially are, I think, are catastrophic. Thank you.
0: Dr. Inglad, how about you? What are your thoughts
1: on this? I, I, my thoughts, you know, just coming off that a little bit, I think that during the, uh, just um, uh, during their last uh, vice presidential debate, which was pretty boring uh, for many people, there's one thing that kind of stuck in my mind that Kamala Harris said, uh, kind of pointing to the Trump administration, that foreign policy is about relationships, and I think it was a very good comment that I think most people would understand. So uh, uh, Trump, you know, when he came on the scene as a US president and and, and foreign policy leader, uh, many leaders in the world thought, well, he's not traditional. It's going to be a different situation. He's a transactional deal maker, all that stuff. Uh, They they thought they knew about him. And they said, oh, maybe on the individual level, I can make a great deal with him for my country or for my interests. We don't have to look far. It's almost every leader was thinking that Shinzo Abe in Japan thought he's going to negotiate a great deal. Uh, Boris Johnson, a special trade deal when he quits the European Union. Uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil, he's going to be my great friend who helped me because I'm thinking like him. Uh, Macron, France, threw a parade for him, military parade. You can go on and on and on, you know, even the Chinese president. Thought that. By now, if you ask any one of them, including even North Korean dictator, They'll tell you that they're utterly disappointed and they don't want to have anything to do with the guy. Okay. And he became like Putin in the old days when he was invited to Australia and uh, attended one breakfast. Nobody wanted to sit at the table with him. Trump is not now welcome or invited anywhere. They didn't want to come here for his meeting. So he's shunned by the world. So that's the biggest problem that we face. So what's the world reaction to it, right? You can ask. So what? Other countries are beginning to contemplate and some experts, I saw a discussion between a British and a German expert on this, on foreign policy, and they said, well, this opens a chance for us. We've been always in the coattails of the United States following it. Now we can lead. Europe is the next largest, if it, they work together, economy and power in the world after the United States. Some people say economically it's bigger now. The problem of course is Europe is not a country, right? So they have to act together. But there are two countries in Europe with great ambition, France and Germany, that want to make Europe a counterweight to the US. And what they are doing, for example, negotiating with China. At the same time, we are not. So we are blasting China for the virus, for this and that. They're stepping into that vacuum and negotiating their own deal because they believe they cannot deal with the world without cooperation with China. And China is making concessions. They just announced they'll do some uh, clean energy by the year 2060. So they are trying to, to negotiate with other countries. My belief is that the Chinese are very open to negotiation, but now there's nobody to push them because they are not afraid of the US. They just laugh at it and ignore it. Okay, and then finally, I want to end up on a more uh, pessimistic note because Dr. Viselli mentioned you know, uh, problems with um, uh, not trusting science and climate and other things. Dr. Bataille is worried about the Middle East. But look at what's happening around the world. All experts in international relations have argued for a long time that now we don't have state to state wars anymore. The world has been safe because of the United States building these institutions. We have more civil conflict. So the war was there, but it was a different kind of war. But look around what's happening today. Armenia and Azerbaijan are in a real war, like in the old times, you know, between countries uh, over boundaries. So a lot of conflicts are opening up in front of our eyes, and there's nobody to lead to stop it and make peace. That's where the United States played such a pivotal role. And we see things unravel in a very dangerous way on many fronts
0: going off of that, uh, Dr. Inglot, and we'll get to you in a second there, Dr. Bata, how much have we, well, we have seen unprecedented uh, numbers of career diplomats and career professionals mm-hmm. in the State Department leave leave um, during the Trump administration. And we know that although the president is the figurehead of the United States, that the real work in international relations happens in the State Department. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on how much that's ha- that has impacted our relationships? As leaving?
1: On, on yep, go ahead. I had a chance. I was invited to a State Department meeting on immigration and uh, on migration and... Uh, Social conditions in Europe that was back in 2016. I was sitting at the table with some of the people who were at the European desk, European and um, Eurasian relations, and things like that in Russia. And I sat with some of these people and discussed things. And one of them was sitting at the table in front of me, and he was not an ethnic immigrant or anybody like that. And he told me, uh, so Maybe you should, we should put, do you speak Polish? Maybe you can switch to Polish and, and converse in Polish. And I was completely stuck, you know. I mean, struck by the fact, you know, the people knew several languages. They were so well-versed in everything, and more importantly than anything, they were there because they are passionate about the world and about the United States engagement and democracy. They didn't go there for money. Washington is an expensive place to live. They don't make much money. The life is disrupted all the time. It's a very demanding job. But I met personally, even young students going into that profession, dedicated young Americans who made a difference as individuals and state departments full of them. Now they're all quitting. It is not new phenomenon because uh, our culture has never rewarded such people. We pushed them into business careers, many of them quit because they couldn't financially handle it, but still we have many still going there uh, since uh, you know the time of the Cold War It continued that this uh, place attracted the most uh, fantastic talent in this country. And now it's almost completely gone. Nobody wants to work there. There's awful uh, condition, working conditions and atmosphere under Pompeo. He's just a political operative, you know. And we complained about the uh, uh, former you know, um, uh, secretaries of state, you know, there, who had no experience and were, you know. But now they're writing books. And they are themselves dismayed about, about this whole mess. So, you know, it's, it's the worst it's ever been. I'm very pessimistic about the future.
0: Dr. Bata, I'm sorry, I cut you off, go
1: ahead. <laughs> no, no,
2: thank you very much. And you uh, mentioned the State Department and, um, and uh, the notion that they're underappreciated, that truly is the case. And not only that, are, their work is underappreciated, ign- it's ignored because the White House, the Trump basically operates foreign policy as he does domestic policy by tweets. It's still a bureaucracy which he distrusts has a plan? Has a strategy? Has a history? Has a legacy? All of that is scrubbed, simply because there's a tweet, and uh, it seems as though they, as well as the other officials in the government, uh, are in the same boat. You and I, basically, we wake up and we see his tweets, and it could very well be a surprise to them as it is to us. And now Jackie mentioned that you know we ought to hang up, hang together. Uh, the truth of it is uh, uh, there is a need for leadership the united states doesn't have to be the world's policeman but a leader that is respected and can steer if you will has a good deal of influence on world policy politics and affairs but what we've got basically is a leader that you know gets along very well with dictators i mean you mention uh <coughs> putin you mention uh john Goen, uh, you mention uh uh g you mentioned narinda you mentioned uh cc uh the crown prince of saudi arabia erdogan i mean you name it those he gets along with they confront him and he backs down but the leaders of the democratic countries uh he doesn't and in fact we saw a good scene and a good in the sense that it's illustrative uh in the 70th uh nato meeting Uh, in uh, the UK, where essentially the other leaders were poking fun on him. Uh, And ultimately, he had to leave uh, 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 that, uh, you know, that uh, the summit two days in advance. Uh, I mean, you know, and, you know, things reached very, very low. I mean, and we see him, how he treats other leaders. If the country is weak and the leader is weak, he treats him like he's a subordinate. And we saw, for example, how he treated um, how he treated um, uh, uh, Prime Minister Montenegro, uh, the mm-hmm. president of Poland, when he was signing a strategic partnership, mm-hmm. stood, though he was an aide to him, um, and uh, how he basically job on and uh, do army twisting and hangs up on leaders like the Australian prime minister, and back and forth with, with the president of Mexico and the examples go on and on. I mean, he announces things that are not true and commit, try to, you know, kind of make it feta complete. Like, for example, announcing that Kuwait was going to be signing a peace deal with Israel and Kuwait has to say, what? What happened here? Wait a second. The, the Emir was sick in Mayo Clinic and he was taking advantage of that. He gave him an award and he thought he could just announce and uh the world that uh, kuwait is about to do that and the kuwaiti said no 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 we're not the bahrainis were dragged into it and the israeli commentator said we feel sorry for them because we're not even sure they read the agreement they were signing because they they, he had to have somebody on september 15 to sign the deal with israel the bahrainis foreign minister came in and signed you know signed he could have signed a blank check basically and so that, you know, that does a lot of damage for the United States. It does have a, you know, it does have a, a, a meaningful impact. And I think this is one thing that we in political science and academia tend to you know, put it at the lower rank that, yeah, personality has some significance. Well, the truth of it is here, personality is just about, yes, we are in a democracy but the democracy has been taken over by that personality. So this is the last word I wanna say about it. Well,
0: actually, we we are getting to the point where we're gonna have further conversations and further podcasts about this, but I wanna kind of wrap it up with each one of you giving me your thoughts on, so what? Why do we care what the world perceives of the United States? Why is it important to understand what's going on? So I'm gonna start with Dr. Vasselli to give me her thoughts on, so what? Why is this important? Well
3: you know I I think it's important in in a few ways. Um, I think too many of us in this country like to think that we live alone but then of course you know we want the products of other countries and you know we want to be able to travel and and so on Uh, but you know i i think there's there's very little global awareness here and we we do not live alone um i think that um uh if we employ the the notion that oh, that we in international li- uh, relations like to employ of soft power uh, in other words, the, the prestige that you might have from uh, cultural accomplishments, from uh, uh, other populations agreeing with uh, some of your principles and ideas and so on. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly losing that. Uh, if, if you lose soft power and you can't negotiate with people uh What's left? And and we can say this domestically also. If we can't talk to each other, if we can't come together, what's left? Uh, We put more and more reliance on our guns. Uh, And uh, again, you know, we uh, are are seeing more and more calls from civil society here. uh, Reallocate funds. Uh, away from military, away from policing, away from the coercive apparatus, take care of the problems uh, that we have in society. Um, But if we have a situation where, you know, we've abdicated uh, leadership, we've abdicated uh, negotiation and so on, then, you know, we're putting ourselves in a position where, uh, w- w- what do we do? Just rely on militarizing ourselves more and more and more. Um, I think that's, uh, uh, that's, that's a problem. Um, I, I don't want to see a world in which, uh, human rights are, are even less secure. I, I think, uh, you know the the struggle for meaningful human rights uh, in in the world is always very uphill, uh, and it's gotten much worse. Uh, and we don't think about this in in this country because um, uh, the majority anyway uh, don't expect that they they would ever be in a a prison cell. Uh, um, wrongfully arrested, they don't expect they would ever be tortured. They don't expect they would ever be killed. Um, uh, again, you know, just listen to the the life experience of so many people uh, around the world. Uh, and uh, uh, again, you know, I, I I think it matters a, a great deal um, for the very lives of many many human beings but we don't see it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Inglot, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I fully agree on what Jackie just said. And it's, um, you know, the the main point is that all these institutions the United States helped build around the world, you know, it took uh, uh, two world wars and a huge uh, loss of life and so much time to build them. They cannot be easily replaced by anybody in such a short period of time. And all that potential now is kind of fizzling away. I'm not just talking about you know, uh, Trump or the president doing this or that, but I'm talking about uh, many American people, experts, uh, institutions, universities that work so hard to contribute not to only this country but the rest of the world, so many areas. Look at public health, you know countries looked up to us to give them guidance on public health we have the best experts like dr fauci and others and you know what's happening we are now you know in complete disarray and other countries are actually using our own inventions in public health uh, health to do much better with COVID than we are so things are unraveling on all these different fronts and uh, that's a big disappointment because all this potential without um, a government policy that will encourage and mobilize these resources to benefit the whole world. And we have so much to offer, and we've always had. That's a big disappointment. And then a second point, um, what Abdallah just said about those leaders and, and relations with Trump. You know, uh, those weaker leaders, smaller countries, they've always built, you know, certain relations with the United States in which they were able to sell to their own public uh, the message that there's a benefit coming out of it. Now, he mentioned the president of Poland and uh, Mexico and so forth. They have no choice. They have to be friends with us. They try to make some kind of a deal with Trump, which is a complete disaster on many different fronts. And then the population blames them. They, they don't blame America. They blame them. Oh, they messed up. They are, so they're becoming weaker. The society is destabilized. And we see so many problems around the world because that relationship has been completely shattered. So it's, it's a big disappointment.
0: Thank you, Dr. Bata. Would you like to give us your final thoughts?
1: Yes, I you know, would agree that, of
2: course, uh, perceptions do matter and they do connect with um, you know, um, reactions, uh, concrete reactions by other states and uh, how they uh, devise their strategies vis-a-vis United States or any administration for that matter, uh, for instance uh United States not uh, uh, living up to the, its international commitments and obligations, give an example to other countries. Why should we? That's what mm-hmm. some would certainly say. United States not aiding its allies that have stood with it. Uh, 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 that means United States doesn't have enough credibility. Why should you be an ally of the United States? Uh, take example of the Kurds in Syria, for example, when Erdogan pressured uh, 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 President Trump, President Trump withdrew U.S. forces there, uh, uh, opened the way for the Turkish forces to enter and create their, uh, you know, their zone. And so the, the, the Kurds were thrown out of the way, although they were reliable allies against uh, the, the, in the fight against ISIS. And so what, you shouldn't really be, you know, a, an ally of the United States because you could be thrown under the bus. Uh, in terms of human rights. Uh, Likewise, uh, you know, the United States is an example, but if it's not an example, then other countries justify. Uh, The best thing that happened for dictators and authoritarian rulers was the election of President Trump because in their countries, their people compare their dictator with President Trump and say, well, what we've got is not all too bad. Mm on the level of corruption. They compare and say, well, we're, we're okay, because that's what happened in the best of countries. The United States, take for example. So this is important. For some countries, uh, all you have to do is uh, oblige with the interest, not of the United States, but the interest of Israel, to get into the United States. And uh, This is very much contrary to what George Washington said in his farewell speech, that, uh, uh, cautioning uh, his Successors from getting into entangling alliances where they confuse their interests, the national interests of the United States, with the interests of that uh, ally. And that's what we are having uh, today. Um, you know, uh, it tells them hey, look, the best thing that works with the United States is to be confrontational, combative. Look at the example. Of uh, uh, Jong-un, for example, when he was told he was a rocket man, he said, no, you are a a dotard. And that works. And all of a sudden, they're in love. You know, Look at the example of Putin, who seems to be intimidating of President Trump. Look at the example of Erdogan or others that can bring a lot of money, like the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. So he sends uh, uh, our policy, uh, sends all the wrong signals uh that could certainly be echoed uh, elsewhere uh, in the world and um you know america first well china's first and uh, britain will say we're first nobody's gonna put out and hang together uh on behalf of the world community to 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 combat uh, common you know common problems so whether it is terrorism or uh, global warming or the other global commons that we talk so much about in international relations well
0: thank you so much i know we're kind of running out of time we have already talked about so many things and we have more to discuss in the future so i look forward to the three of you joining me again on the podcast so we can keep talking about our perception of the world and even after the election how that may change or may not change our perception thank you for listening to this episode of let's talk government if you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash letstalkgov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode, and thank you for listening.